You're listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Hey there, and welcome to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. My name is Andy, and I host this show. This is episode 301, and today I will be chatting with Jordan F., all the way from Australia. All right, and we have a fun chat, and we'll be getting to that in just a bit, but I also have a bunch of music to play. We've got birthdays to do. We've got letters to read, because if you've been paying attention, we just had a uh, almost seven-hour episode 300 celebration. To be honest, it would have been over seven hours, but once I finished editing the show, I uploaded it to SoundCloud and discovered, to my dismay, that SoundCloud does not allow files longer than six hours and 45 minutes, which was a really shitty thing to discover at three in the morning because I was so excited because that episode took about three and a half weeks to put together and I was exhausted and just so happy that the thing was finished. And then when I saw that stupid notification on SoundCloud, I just didn't believe it. I was like, no, I'll just re-upload this again. And then I uploaded it again and had the same error. So I spent the next day trimming it down. Now, just for those people who listen to Beyond Synth all the time, I didn't cut out anything important. Like, I I basically re-listened to the show and I trimmed, like, sentences here and there. And so pretty much the content of the episode remained intact. I just sort of, uh, you know, like a bonsai tree. You know, I just trimmed around the sides. Anyways, let's listen to some music and get this show started, okay? And, of course, thank you for listening to the 300th Celebration. If you did, uh, it was a good time and it was fun to catch up with all those people. But now we got to move ahead and move forward. So that's what we're going to do. So let's listen to this track, which is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the Kroner Club, we got Emil and Hampus ML and the Kings of the Pattersons. You know, the Mike Shima, Robert D. Bishop, Mystery Donor. And of course, the King of Kings of the Pattersons, as we crowned him last week, Chris Dance, the most awesome Patterson of them all. And now, uh, check out this track. This is Cal L. Jagger with Wild Horses, the Droid Bishop Remix. Just together 
right, that was Kal-El Jagger with the track Wild Horses, the Droid Bishop Remix. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, the King of Hell, Jose Arbello, Mike Erdahl, the 56.66, and Tim Carlton, the Golden Boner, and of course, Jacob Wick, my semi-sonic friend. And I should also point out that Retro Serenade, uh, another awesome patron, did send me a letter that I read on the 300th episode, but the part I didn't read was when he said this, P.S., I don't think I've ever made a request, so here it is. I recently made a lyric video for a fellow Droid Bishop and Andy fan. It's called Wild Horses, the Droid Bishop remix by Kal-El Jagger. Currently, it's only on my YouTube channel, but if you ever read this, it should be available on all necessary channels. And that was from Retro Serenade, and the thing was I'd already had the playlist for episode 300 picked out, so I wanted to read his letter, but uh, he also wanted me to play that uh, track. So we just did. We just listened to it man and go check out retro serenades youtube channel where you can watch the lyric video so how's everybody doing anyways i'll tell you this that uh grand theft auto definitive edition is terrible i fucked up i pre-ordered it and i really shouldn't have you know though i i've never done this before in my life so we'll see what happens but i am going to call sony and get my money back uh, i've never done this before I know if you buy games on on computer and if you use Steam, I think it works fairly well and it's pretty much automatic, right? It's sort of like they just track your game time and so if you request a a refund, they just go, oh, like, have you played the game for less than two hours or have you owned the game for, you know, like three weeks but you haven't turned it on or whatever and then you can just get a refund. But on console, it's a little bit trickier and uh, I think you actually got a phone. But um, we can't let this one slide, man. Rockstar has committed a crime, Right? They have uh, they have stolen from the good people who trusted them to put out a thing. See, the thing was, after talking to Michael Oakley a few episodes ago, I got this interest to play uh, Vice City again, and I tried to, but the controls were just so terrible that I just couldn't play it. And that's when I said, you know what, with this remaster coming out, I'll just wait for that. I mean, I don't care. It, it could look exactly the same as the PlayStation 2 game, as long as it plays well. And I kind of wasn't ready for how lazy and shitty this was going to be. It was It's actually kind of caught me off guard. Like the Grand Theft Auto Definitive Edition, they're not even the old games upscaled. They're like rebuilt, but like rebuilt for an iPhone or something. Like it just looks like this weird generic cartoon world. The first thing I thought when I put on Grand Theft Auto 3, this was the first thing that came to my mind. I felt like I was playing the Simpsons hit and run. If any of you remember that from the GameCube uh, PS2 era, there was this game called Simpsons Hit and Run, which was a Simpsons game that was sort of doing the Grand Theft Auto style gameplay, but in Springfield, and it had, you know, uh, cell shaded graphics. And honestly, that's what Grand Theft Auto 3, this definitive edition, looks like to me. It's crazy. Anyway, the point is this. Let's listen to uh, some cool music, okay? I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going to get my goddamn money back. And in the meantime, we're going to listen to this cool song from Andrew Bennon. Uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's uh, Tim Carlson. No, I already said him. <laughs> There's City Hunter, the coolest guy in town. Then there's Retro Serenade. Hey, we just read his letter. Brandon Decker and Hugh Hefner. And this is Andrew Bennon with Space Station Sheila.
And that was Space Station Sheila by Andrew Bennon. And that was a nice track, some nice uh, spacey vibes. You know, it always sounds weird to say that now. <laughs> Usually when you say spacey vibes, you mean in space and not uh, Kevin Spacey. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Clint Dowling in the $25 Club. And then there's a star apart, Alex Ellickson, Blake Peterson, and Cargo Cult Luo. So, you know, since we are a few weeks behind, a few weeks behind, a few months behind, let's do birthdays. All right, so we got to catch up. We might even have to do two birthday segments because uh, that 300th episode, it's been like a month since we've had like a regular show, right? So let's get caught up on birthdays. So on November the 4th, it was my birthday. That's right. And it was also Adam McNabb's birthday. That's right. Adam from Lucaset and I share a birthday. I don't know what that means, but uh, we both turned a year older. I turned 40, so that was a bit weird. And then on November the 6th, it's Tristan Way. Happy birthday, Tristan Waits. Sorry, your birthday message is like two weeks late, and I apologize, but uh, we didn't do a birthday segment on episode 300. So Tristan Waits, you're a cool guy. Uh, Thank you so much for supporting the show. Some little birds just started chirping right outside my window. I don't know if the microphone is picking it up. So look, let's see what happened on November the 6th. In 1572, supernova is observed in constellation known as Cassiopeia. In 1844, Spain grants Dominican Republic independence. In 1850, the first Hawaiian fire engine. In 1860, Republican Abraham Lincoln of Illinois is elected the 16th president of the United States. Oh shit, is this election day? There's going to be a whole bunch of like (laughs) American election ones. Benjamin Harrison, Grover Cleveland. Okay, so this is dumb because this is going to be a huge list of American presidents. In 1923, USSR adopts an experimental calendar with five-day weeks. What? I've never heard of that. That's interesting. All right, well, you are now the five-day calendar Tristan Waits. Happy birthday, buddy. Oh, and here's a funny thing. Do you remember last month on October the 6th, there was this day, uh, there was a few patrons who had a birthday on that day, and it was this horrible day full of all of these historical atrocities and, uh, <laughs> and like, it was like crazy earthquakes that killed like hundreds of thousands of people, and like there's just news stories that were all about like Hitler and stuff. And it turns out that there's another patron that has a birthday on October the 6th, and I know this is so far away now, but I would also like to say a happy belated birthday to a star apart. Happy birthday, dude. I just think it's hilarious that people have <laughs> that people have this stupid birthday. Because <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> I've got three patrons who have October 6th birthdays. That's really interesting. Anyways, uh, look, happy birthday, Tristan Waits. How about this? Let's listen to another song. We've got some more birthdays to cover, and then uh, we'll keep going, all right? So this is a cool one from Baldo Caster. I love the music of Baldo Caster, and uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the $25 Club, we're talking about Eurobeat Intensifies, Honeybeard, Jimmy the Hutt, Johnny Five, Kempson and Ken Jeru. And this is Baldo Caster with Stalker.
And that was Stalker by Baldocaster. That was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 club, like Mr. Magoo Samurai, Neverman, Restless Nights, Techno Ben, and of course, the awesome Forged in Neon with the 2049. I feel like I rushed as I said the name Baldo. I said Baldocaster so quickly, but I'll tell you this. I don't, I don't like to play favorites on this show because it's probably uh, bad form. You know, I try and remain professional here and neutral, but uh, Baldocaster makes really awesome music, okay? Like, I, I listen to his music all the time. It's good stuff. Anyways, let's get back to the birthdays. I'm not going to play the jingle again. So where are we at? So we did Tristan Waits. Happy birthday, November 6th to Tristan Waits. Then the next day on November 7th, a happy birthday to Martin Larby. You know Martin Larby, also known as Patrick Fakeman, and he's been a great uh, supporter of Beyond Synth, and it is his birthday, or was his birthday. These are all belated birthdays, by the way. I wonder what happened on November the 7th. In 1651, King Louis XIV of France declared of full age at the age of 13. You should see this picture. <laughs> it's like- it's like, even in the painting version of him, <laughs> he's got a drawn-on mustache. <laughs> in 1800, it became illegal for women in Paris to wear trousers without a police permit. That sounds like something Martin Larby would get behind. He's always saying that to me, like, when we talk privately, he's just like, oh, I really wish it would be illegal for women to wear trousers without a police permit. And I'm like, dude, move to Paris, because that was only annulled in 2013. <laughs> anyway, happy birthday, Martin Larby. I don't necessarily agree with your stance on women's trousers, but uh, hey, it's a big world and we should all be accepting of each other's differing opinions, no matter how wrong-minded they are. Uh, happy birthday on November the 13th to Jessie Fry. You know Jessie Fry. She's super talented. She had a new album that came out. Uh, you know her tunes. She's good. And we've got a fun interview on the Beyond Synth YouTube channel where we talk about... <laughs> dildos for... Because, <laughs> you know, it's a music show, right? Anyway, the point is this. Uh, happy birthday to Jesse Fry. I hope you had a fun birthday. And go listen to the music of Jesse Fry. And then, the next day, on November the 14th, it's Ken Giroux. That's right, we just mentioned him, because he's an awesome patron. Ken Giroux sent me a letter. He says, Hey Andy, happy belated birthday, and congratulations on 300 episodes. Are you still doing birthday shoutouts? If so, my birthday is on November 14th. I'll be 43 years old. I hope you get a chance to relax before working on episode 301 well i didn't you see the thing is since the show was basically off the air for three and a half weeks while i worked on episode 300 i feel like that gave the appearance that i was taking a break from the show (laughs) when (laughs) i was actually working really hard on it and getting very stressed out and now i feel like i can't take a break because we already went on one sort of so no the second episode 300 was done I immediately started editing episode 301. But the most important thing is, Ken Jiru is a cool guy, okay? Happy birthday, dude. Uh, I hope you're having a lovely day. Of course, Ken Jiru has always been a great uh, supporter of Beyond Synth. Uh, You recognize the name because I say it all the time. And I hope 43 treats you well. You know, we're all in the 40 club now. So we've got some uh, solidarity. We've got 
40 Solidarity. What's, uh, actually, what happened on your birthday? Hey, in 1851, Moby Dick by Herman Melville, first published by Harper and Brothers in the U.S. There you go. Moby Dick, that's your favorite book. And then in 1908, Albert Einstein presents his quantum theory of light. You know how you're always talking about quantum theory? See, it all makes sense now. Anyways, happy birthday, everybody. I hope everybody has a happy, happy day. And now it's time to listen to more music. And I got a cool one here from Power Rob, which I think has a, has a production feature here from uh, one of my awesome Patreon supporters, Stagger, with the two dots above the A. And uh, this track is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the $20 Club, there's Joshua Winter and Chatterack. And then uh, with the 1988, it's Waylon Kasky Geospatial. And uh, this is Power Rob with Live Fast, Die Hard.
And that was Live Fast, Die Hard by Power Rob. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. The 1986, it's COVID-1986. And the Buchelman sisters, Rachel and Sarah in the 1985 Club. And then the 1555 Club, it's Gene Creamer, Private Eye. And we're back on Beyond Synth. We're having a good day. I should say I'm recording this the day that the Spider-Man trailer is going to come out. So I have not seen it yet. So I have no comment. And to be honest with you, I feel like I'm going to be on the phone with Sony all afternoon. getting my refund so i'm probably gonna miss the trailer but uh, i hope it's good i'll say this i actually enjoyed the buzz lightyear trailer not gonna lie um i like the way that they they played like david bowie Starman, where you hear like his vocal but then it like just echoes i saw some people who were very confused by the trailer like but if this is buzz lightyear the movie but buzz lightyear is like an actual guy but is this like the movie within the universe of the toy story franchise but then why would it like look this good if Toy Story 1 technically takes place in like you know the late 90s like there wouldn't be a movie like this at that time and you know what I say I say you gotta take another fucking puff of that dube old friend and just let your cares wash away alright it doesn't matter it's all just a goddamn cash grab just like Rockstar trying to pull the wool over people's eyes and release some fucking piece of shit and you know the worst part is there are modders out there game modders who have made these amazing Grand Theft Auto mods and I didn't download any of those mods I remember reading articles and watching videos of them and just going oh that would be cool but you know Rockstar will do an official thing one of these days and I'll pick that up, right? And now I'm watching these videos on YouTube of Grand Theft Auto 3 mods and going, what the fuck? Like, I should be playing that. Rockstar doesn't deserve my money. Like, look at what these people did. Like, they did some amazing work. There's different techniques. Like, there's some people who just, like, you know, upscaled the original games, but uh, added in, like third-person aiming controls and increased textures and stuff. I've also seen some mods that look like they actually take the Grand Theft Auto 4 and 5 game engine, but then made the maps from the other games, and so it looks like you're playing sort of like Grand Theft Auto 4 or 5, but it's the old maps from the old game and stuff. Like, this is... This is what they should have done. And I can't believe I waited and never downloaded any of those mods. Now, mind you, they're probably really complicated to set up and I don't (laughs) have the patience. But it's crazy to me what they've done. Because I didn't download any of those things and I waited for what the company was going to release officially. And then I get what they released officially and it is junk. Absolute junk. So look. I'll tell you what isn't junk, though, is cool music. Here's one from Doug Masters, and uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Of course, there's Mads Baron Christensen, Skywolf, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Lane. And now, here is Doug Masters with Perfect Skills.
stunning combination of beauty, grace and skill. And that was Perfect Skills by Doug Masters. Yeah, that's a nice one. And that was brought to you by my awesome PayPals. What? Of course, the king of the PayPals, Upgrade Jimpy, is a cool guy, followed closely behind by Ross Bruce. I should come up with a name for you, the Silver Bruce. How do you feel about that? If Upgrade Jimpy is the king of the PayPals and you can be the Silver Bruce? I don't know. You let me know. Then there's Austin Whetstone. Of course, Jimmy Groon. I hope you appreciated us having fun at your expense in the 300th. Uh, but we had a good laugh there. That was good. Jimmy Groon. And then the Rosconian. Brandon Morin. Digital Dreams. Gustav Velichek. Dan Williams. Russell Nyes. Timothy Warwick. And Jersey. And of course, we have some, some new PayPal pals here. There's Christian Alexander, aka User, who uh, sent in a nice donation in recognition of the 300th episode of Beyond Synth. He said, happy 300th, and I said, happy thanks to you. <laughs> 
So go check out the music of User. Uh, and thank you, Christian Alexander, for your support. And then Kalel Jagger uh, sent in some support as well. And I don't want this to sound like this is like a pay-to-play show necessarily, but it's just because since episode 300 took so many weeks to make, a lot of stuff happened in the interim. So Retro Serenade said, play Kalel Jagger's song. And I said, okay, I'll do that on the next episode because this episode's already set up. And then before I got a chance to do the other episode, Kalel sent in uh, a PayPal donation. So now Kalel is one of the PayPals. And now it seems like I can be bought. <laughs> And that's not the case. All right? It's just, that's just the way it worked out. Why am I defending this? I don't know why I'm doing that. And of course, Echo Vector X, who is a Patreon supporter, but also uh, sent in some lovely donations on PayPal. And so now you're PayPal too. Go check out the music of Echo Vector X. Oh, and if you actually want to play a decent game, the Metroid game on Nintendo Switch is actually good. This was like a huge surprise to me. I remember when I saw that trailer, they released a trailer for Metroid Dread, and it was not a trailer for Metroid Prime 4, and I got very upset because I was watching this trailer going, what the fuck are they doing? It looks like they just made this Metroid game in like two months just to say that there was a Metroid game, and I got really annoyed, but in actual fact, I had no intention of buying it. I played the demo, and the demo won me over. Actually, you know, this game's actually pretty good. Like, I was actually having fun. And then I was like, you know what? I will pick this up. This is a good game. And that's the way things should be. You know, you play a demo, you go, wow, this is good. I remember when I played the the demo for Just Cause 2. And that was another experience where I was like, whoa, this game is awesome. Like, it just, it was so much fun. I just, I just remember thinking how excited I was at how fun that game was. And then I bought the game because the demo was so good. And then meanwhile, we have companies like Rockstar who will literally count on the nostalgia and brand awareness of Grand Theft Auto that people will buy the game without even playing a demo just by seeing some stupid trailer. And then they literally just farmed out a piece of crap. Sorry, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to dwell on this. Maybe I'll be in a better mood once I get my refund from Sony. I hope I can get a refund. What if I can't? What if I actually can't get a refund? (laughs) That's going to be weird. Then I don't know how I'm going to feel. Anyways, let's listen to this track by The Last Concord from their album Dream Machine. And uh, it's a cool track. I think you're going to dig it. This is Cold Heart by The Last Concord.
PlayStation player support. We're here to make sure your play has no limits and to assist with any hardware and technical issues. For help with your password or recovering your account, press 1. For requesting a refund on a PlayStation Store purchase, All right, so while I've been recording this episode, I've also been on hold with Sony, so now it's time to see if I get this refund. Good luck. I get your online ID to get us started? Yes, my online ID, I believe, is Boonza Labinza. You and your name? Andy. You Andy. All righty, you said Boonza Labinza. Well, yeah. (laughs) How can I help? Well, something like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a nonsense word. It's okay. <laughs> okay. It's okay. How can I help you today? Basically, I just want a refund on this uh, Grand Theft Auto Definitive Edition, which I bought just the other day because it's terrible. Okay. I'll be happy to take a look into your account. And that's the trilogy, the pre-order? Yes. Okay. Give me just a moment. I'll play Sean briefly and I'll be right back. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi there. Hi, so I will process the refund back to the payment method that's on file. Now, it may take up to one to two billing cycles for the refund to actually show up on your account. Did you have any other questions for me? Uh, no, that's pretty much everything. Thank you so much. Actually, I do have a question. No problem. You might not know the answer to this. If I request, like, a refund from Sony, you guys take that money from Rockstar, right? Like, you just does Sony just take the hit here? Or does Rockstar get, like, like the company that made the game? Like, they take the hit. Now, you know what? I have no idea how Sony processes their refund. I just know I work for PlayStation. I do not work <laughs> for Rockstar. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Well, no, that- I get paid by PlayStation. Because the thing is, like, I, I bear no ill will towards Sony. It's not their fault. Like, Rockstar released this broken game, and so I don't know if Sony takes the hit and they just refund it out of the thing and, like, Rockstar doesn't find out because they need to know that they made a bad game. Oh, they know. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) PlayStation's been around since PlayStation 1, 2, 3. So I'm sure they know. I'm sure they let them know how many refunds on the game that they've gotten. Perfect. Well, anyway, that's that's everything. So, thank you so much for making that uh, that easy. That was great. Oh, no problem. You're welcome. And I thank you so much for contacting us today. If no other questions, thanks for contacting us, and have a good afternoon. Okay, you too. Thanks for your help. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. All right, I got the refund. You know, I've never asked for a video game refund in my life. That was the first time. So there you go. Maybe that's why that seemed so seamless, because they probably looked at my file and were like, holy shit, this guy's given like thousands of dollars to Sony, so we'll uh, we'll let this slide for now. But hopefully other people are also returning this game because it's trash. But look, it ends a happy ending. What a great thing. And you know what? I'm feeling in a good mood, so let's listen to a track from Duet, because Duet is awesome. And then we will chat with Jordan F. All right, so here is Duet with Far away.
And that was Far Away by Duet. Duet makes awesome music. That's Duet with two T's. All right, go listen to the music of Duet. It uh, never disappoints. And uh, you can always go back and listen to the episodes that Duet was on the show. But right now, it's time for Jordan F. All right, well, I am here right now with Jordan F. How's it going, man? Going well, thanks. How are you doing? I am doing all right. How is life in Australia today? Life's not too bad at the moment. We're in lockdown, but, you know, it's given me a good opportunity to write some new music and, you know, take things a little bit easy. So, yeah, doing what I can down here, but... Yeah, no, everything's going all right, thanks. Well, hopefully by the time this episode actually airs, you will be out of lockdown. That's the hope. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah. I don't like to tell people when I record these things, but sometimes they're months in advance. (laughs) So who knows? Maybe it's Christmas now and you guys are celebrating and opening gifts. Yeah, you never know. I I mean, I hope not or else I'm fucking horrible at scheduling. (laughs) So... So, tell me a bit about Jordan F. I don't do any research other than just listen to the music. So, when did you uh, start making tunes? Well, I started writing electronic music generally, I think, around 2009. Actually, no, probably 2010. And before that, I was, you know, a DJ. So, I used to do a lot of warm-up DJ sets in King's Cross, which is Sydney's nightlife district. So, I used to play a lot of, you know, new disco, French touch, a bit more restrained electronic, not really EDM or thrash electro although i was into that stuff at the time i mean then i got kind of bored of djing other people's music and decided to write my own so i got a copy of ableton live and started just trying to write music generally just electronic music i had no idea what i wanted to write i just wanted to start writing my own material and i remember i was making things like you know (laughs) tribal house and dubstep and all sorts of things and then i came across a blog called disco champagne and they're a really cool italian blog that's all about you know italo disco in the 80s and almost like a retro wave kind of feel before that you know term was sort of coined Mm. the blog's not available now but it used to have really cool artists obviously like 80s stallone lifelike you know miami nights 1984 when he had uh, endless summer as a record you know songs like elevator of love you know were a big influence for me and you know there were other artists like flashworks and things like that featured on this blog which had monthly mixtapes And I remember just listening to all this stuff and immersing myself in all this kind of retro music. And from there, I discovered artists like Laserhawk and Mitch Murder and Action Jackson um, and a few others. So I was really, really excited and inspired by all this different sound, which was a bit different to all the other stuff that I was listening to because of like the nostalgia behind this music. And I know just evoking a bit more emotion was really captivating. And so... You know, from there, I just started writing demos and, you know, they all sounded like crap and they were all terrible. And, but, you know, it's all part of experimenting. And I gave a couple demos eventually to Michael Glover at Ross Corsa Records and he liked them. And we put, you know, out a mini EP called Definitely Miami. Uh, it was just a three track. And, you know, sort of from there, I've just been writing more music and trying different things and releasing albums and EPs and you know, a string of remixes. Um, so I think, you know, the project's nearly 10 years old. So it's definitely gone through a number of different phases, you know, releasing albums like Slipstream, Timelines, Oblivion, up to Memory Collision, which I released last year. And yeah, it, it's all just, again, just very, you know, synthwave influenced, but also I like to try doing different things here and there where I can. Were you like a professional DJ or did you still have like another job and you did it on weekends or were you like a full time? I I wouldn't say I was a professional DJ, but I definitely was on sort of the DJ 
circuit. So I'd be sort of a regular at a lot of clubs in Sydney. So yeah, I, I wasn't professional as such, but yeah, I you know, I'd do it quite frequently on weekends. And, you know, just like I said, just do warm up DJ sets for main acts. So is King's Cross like a city or is it like a block of clubs? Like, how do you describe it? Yeah, it's like a suburb, sort of like a little district. And back when I was DJing, it used to be this very vibrant and colorful nightlife scene where it would just be packed every Saturday and Friday night. Even Sundays were packed as well. And, you know, the all sorts of clubs and, and bars and venues you know, now that's not the case. It's changed a lot because of issues around, you know, violence and safety in King's Cross. So the city introduced lockout laws and they pretty much destroyed King's Cross and it basically limited clubs to 2 a.m. and, you know, last drinks at midnight and it really sort of killed Sydney's nightlife scene. So the King's Cross isn't the same anymore. But when I was DJing, it was definitely very vibrant. You know, there were a lot of opportunities for people like myself to get into DJing and getting my foot in the door. So what was going on in King's Cross? Were people like getting the shit kicked out of them all the time? Or Yeah, there was this issue that came around. This person was out um, just having a night out and he got sort of king hit and he died. He got just punched unprovoked from someone in King's Cross. And so there was this big media issue around violence in King's Cross. And then the state government decided to act on that and just sort of just do this very blanket restrictions on nightlife without really consulting you know the entertainment and music industry and you know a lot of people did lose their jobs from these laws and it's only now recently maybe a year or two ago where those laws have been wound back and so you know it started to come back but king's cross hasn't been the same anymore it's now sort of a gentrified you know, sort of mixed-use residential area. It's interesting. Like, Australia seems to move very quickly when it comes to sort of, you know, like, once there's, like, some sort of, like, problem, it's just like, all right, <laughs> you know, like, someone breaks a toy and, like, all right, we're taking the toys away. Like, they seem, they seem very, like, yeah. it's funny. It's actually a really good point, yeah, because I think Australians, you know, internationally, we come across as a very sort of larrikin, sort of free, you know, convict, rebellious in nature kind of country but you know the reality is we're actually pretty sort of conservative and compliant and um just very follow the rules and i think even with covid happening it's sort of shown how we've just been willing to just you know sit down and be quiet and deal with everything that's been going on and yeah, it's definitely been quite interesting seeing how the world looks at Australia versus, you know, what or what I think, per, like how we act. It's funny when you compare it to other countries where <laughs> I'm trying not to say things because I don't like talking politics. <laughs> yeah. But let's just say there's other countries in the world where there's lots of violent crime. The laws don't seem to change. And then, like, one dude can get punched in the head funny, and then, like, the nightlife is completely changed in your country? Yeah, I think we're just used to it, I suppose. You know, when these decisions get made, we just kind of go, okay, all right, <laughs> like, we have to deal with it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Before the law was changed then, was it just, like, bars could just be open forever? Because, like, where I live, that is the way our things are. Like, last calls at midnight, most places usually close at, like, 1 it pretty much shuts down at midnight. Like, the streets are, like, they die. Like, it does not have a nightlife in comparison to Montreal in Quebec that has, like, streets that are for just walking where you can't drive cars and, like, bars are open till, like, 3 a.m. It's, like, a completely different vibe. Yeah. And Toronto is sort of, like, the corporate thing, you know, where they just shut down. Like, it just feels like it's for, like, old people. Yeah, I think if we were to compare, I would say Sydney would be Toronto and Montreal would be Melbourne. Okay. You know, bars did stay open till, like, 6 a.m. And, it, you know, the King's Cross had a, a reputation for being, you know, a very active area of nightlife. Um, you know, obviously, it was 
had its challenges. But yeah, I think Sydney's very much sort of after midnight. Everyone just kind of goes home or stays in and, you know, very much the corporate city because, yeah, I don't know how to put it. I would just say, yeah, Melbourne's definitely got more that Montreal vibe, I suppose. It's got that, you know, more culture, I think. A lot of people would say from overseas would look at Melbourne and say it's got the laneways, it's got sort of that coffee culture and, you know, things like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, every city, I guess, is different. Yeah. Well, how about this, man? Let's actually listen to some music because you've been making music for a long time. So I've actually gone back in time here and I'm just going to pick a random selection of songs from over the timeline of Jordan F. So um, I wanted to listen to this one, which was from your Free Fall uh, EP. This was back in 2014. You're like an old man. It's, I always feel weird. There's certain <laughs> there's certain artists who I should have had on the show like years and years ago that I'm just like getting around to. And I always feel like I apologize to them like whenever I have them on the show. Because <laughs> it's like... Cause you You've been here for such a long time, like one of the staples of like, you know, Rosa Corsa, because obviously like there's only like a handful of artists on that label. So you've you've been a, a name that I've known and listened to for like so long. So it's just I get I get very distracted is the point, Jordan. Oh, look, there's a lot of music out there. So that's all good. But uh, I want to listen to this one. This is the one you did uh, featuring. How do you say this? This lady's name, Romarin? Uh, yeah, R- Romarin or Romarin. Romarin. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think it's Romarin. OK, I'll say it that way. Um, Yeah, so I want to listen to this one because it's a cool track. It's called Falling Like Diamonds featuring Romarin.
right, and that was Falling Like Diamonds featuring Romarin by Jordan F. from the Freefall EP all the way back in 2014. And I am here right now with Jordan F. talking about the nightlife in King's Cross. So what year did you say that that all changed? I think it was 2011 or 2012. Oh, shit. So it's been a long time. Yeah, I mean, those laws have been in place for over five years I think and I think now they've kind of wound back and everything like that but like I said it's not the same anymore so I think there's just bit different now. When you were talking about then the opportunities that people had, was it just because since the places were open till 6am like you could nab a DJ spot at like 4am at some bar kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, because a lot of venues, like heaps of them shut down, like dozens upon dozens of sort of staple venues that, you know, had been there forever, they closed. So, I mean, you know, there's just less availability for DJs to get opportunities to do warm-up sets or even get, you know, like an opening slot or a closing slot. You know, I remember used to go to the cross and do 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. close sets and things like that. And, you know, just it wouldn't happen anymore. But for me, I'd probably moved beyond DJing at that point and just started, you know, making my own music. So it didn't affect me too much but you know i'm sure for other people it would have when you started making tunes were you already in the zone where you were being inspired by some of the other i guess it wasn't called synthwave at the time was it proto synthwave or whatever or were you actually (laughs) making like other types of electronic music before you discovered that stuff yeah definitely so like because you know i got i was obviously influenced by new disco and other artists like french house kind of artists when i would dj but when i got a copy of Ableton I didn't really have any idea what I was trying to make or you know even how to make anything so like I didn't know like how EQs worked or compressors or I didn't know much about synths or plugins I just kind of went in and and just started to experiment and then you know over a year or two I started to get a bit more competent at the sounds and stuff but yeah I I think the influence really started coming around when I ventured into MySpace and on music blogs and I started discovering artists like FM Attack you know Miami Nights 80 Stallone Mitch Murder Laserhawk I mean there was only a handful of them at the time there wasn't you know hundreds upon hundreds I guess of artists that you could find now like there were only probably a dozen or two that were really well known and you know the Valerie Collective as well so and then Kavinsky and stuff like that but so it was quite easy to sort of bundle them all together and go, that's the sound. Whereas now the sound's spread so far and wide that I think that makes it harder for musicians now to sort of be inspired more concisely, I think is the point. So, you know, I could listen to six artists or something and then go, oh, this is the sound generally that they all have in common. And then that's how I started to sort of do the building blocks of, you know, my own sound, I suppose. Do you miss the MySpace days? <laughs> Not really. I mean, I <laughs> just found... <laughs> You know, I found, you know, Miami Nights ActRaiser project on MySpace, but, you know, it was sort of dying by that point, I think. So, no, I can't say I miss it too much. (laughs) There's too much social media for me to keep on top of these days anyway. Like, I, you know, see TikTok now everywhere and stuff, and I'm like, oh, God, I can't even spend enough time to be on another social media platform. So, I don't know how I'm going to survive. Oh, TikTok fucking sucks. I just can't stand the idea of a platform where it's like, Someone does a silly dance to some song, and then, like, 10,000 other people just copy it. Yeah. I just hate that. Like, it actually makes me angry, because my wife's always on TikTok. I mean, there is some people on TikTok who, like, aren't shitty, but the most of the stuff I see, like, <laughs> as my wife scrolls by, it just drives me nuts. And it's and I hear the same, like, two songs as well. Yeah, like, I, I agree. Even for musicians, though, as well, it's just another platform that you have to then somehow find time to put more energy into to, you know, 
provide like sort of meme content and kind of almost bit random superfluous kind of stuff and you know i think for musicians it's like now you've got to not just be good at songwriting or playing an instrument you've got to be good at production you've got to be a graphic designer you've got to do animation you've got to do videos you've got to do you know funny videos like you've got to be a personality now so yeah i don't know i just think like just write music and just keep it simple i think but yeah tiktok's probably something i'm not going to probably be venturing on to because it just doesn't suit my personality what frustrates me is so i make this podcast and i also make some like kind of silly video things series on youtube and stuff and all i ever want to do is just that stuff and everything else is an impediment and it drives me nuts. Like, I, social media, I just hate it. If I was, like, incredibly wealthy, like, I would hire someone to just completely manage everything. I mean, I've got a few kind people who have volunteered to help me do certain things. But, you know, you, you almost require, like, a fucking press secretary or something. Like, someone who just, like, because exactly what you're saying. It's just like, I just want to make music, man. I just want to make music. And meanwhile, you can blow like two to three days a week just like writing social media posts and doing the right hashtags and all this bullshit. And it has nothing to do with the art. Yeah. And that's what makes me so mad about it. Yeah, I agree. 100% agree. I think it's just then it's too much as well. Like I don't have a, I, I don't have time to, you know, get a TikTok account. And I don't know. I don't even know what you do on TikTok. You, like you said, you make memes. You make some funny dance videos. Like that's not me as an artist. So I don't know if... <laughs> me being on that platform would be beneficial i'm quite i'd be quite boring on that platform. i'd just be like showing screenshots of like my laptop and like <laughs> of like any song that i'm working on i suppose and doing like a bouncy thing with my phone oh you know like it's yeah. just suits different personalities i think as well yeah i mean and at the end of the day there's always people who are just going to be able to game the system just by virtue of there's ladies who just have like a big fat ass who uh dance around trying on swimwear and they get like a million views and like you can't you can't compete with that. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It's like you never know what the trend is going to be. And one thing that's always going to be popular is a lady with a big fat ass trying on uh, different swimwears. And unless you can do that, <laughs> then you're out of luck. I don't think I'd get many views for that. In fact, I'd probably be banned from uh, from, from TikTok <laughs> if I did that. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we'll we'll still we'll steer clear of the TikToks for now. And I mean, I don't know. Like I, I see people on Twitch. I think Twitch is kind of cool. I mean, I haven't used it, but you know, I, I don't know even how it works. Do you you need like a green screen or something behind you to do stuff? Like I, yeah, I'm really out of it when it comes to Twitch and TikTok. Like I just don't, you know, Instagram probably is now like my go-to for me, but. Yeah, Instagram I prefer only because since I just follow music accounts, I'm not annoyed by my feed, you know? I mean, it's just people like promoting their music and album covers and things like that. And so it doesn't bother me too much. Like I don't really use my Instagram for like personal stuff. Like I'm not like one of those like thirst guys. So I don't follow a bunch of like hot chicks or anything. Like I just literally follow like music. Yeah. So it's pleasant, you know? <laughs> like I like my Instagram feed. It's pleasant. Like Twitter is not pleasant. Facebook is not pleasant. Uh, I just find those places just make me angry and like they're designed to make me angry which is even more annoying yeah. <laughs> it's like like that's the whole point of those fucking platforms yeah but that's a good point i would actually yeah agree with you particularly about twitter like i obviously i'm active on twitter probably not as much as you know instagram or other things but i you know do go on and like things and retweet things you know regularly but i do find just even in the people that i follow just it's just so negative all the time like people are just i feel it's almost like a, a place where people just complain about the world and i just kind of 
like you know i have a nine to five job i you know write music i've got other things in life i don't need to go on twitter and see people just having a having a complaint about something because you know something's unfair in their view you know yeah no i mean that's what twitter is and it's just so hard to explain but it's just the way tweets are even worded that i see there was a point where i started to i had to pull back because i was noticing the way it was making me feel and i'm like what is this like this is just an impediment to creativity and like i'm being taken down emotionally by other people's like negativity because it's a particular kind of negativity it's sort of hard to explain Mm -hmm. and i just got fed up with the way it made me feel because i'm like well this isn't useful you know and the same with you like if you make music and people like it then at least you're you're contributing something positive like i think anyone who contributes art those are the people i respect you know like at the end of the day even if it sucks it's still like hey at least they're like putting art into the world (laughs) you know where there's just so many other people who like their contribution is i'm gonna make you hate things today (laughs) and it's so frustrating (laughs) yeah no i i I agree with you on that so yeah i just tend to steer clear a little bit of twitter now these days and just on instagram's easy because it's just pictures of things that i like and yeah very easy to engage with so yeah (laughs) well look how about we uh we listen to another song here. We're still in the year 2014. I'm moving to uh, Slipstream, okay. which was a cool thing. And uh, this is a track that I dug called So Close by Jordan F.
And that was So Close by Jordan F. from the album Slipstream. And I'm here with Jordan F. right now. We're in the year 2021, but we're listening to music from 2014 because you've been making stuff for a long time. Although, I feel like you took a break at one point. It, I felt like there was like a few years there where, where you weren't making music as much. Yeah, I went through phases, I think, with, um, you know, just creativity and inspiration. I think, you know, it's quite common for a lot of artists, particularly in this type of genre, to feel a bit burnt out and probably on more than one occasion I just kind of put the brakes on a little bit and just decided to explore different other side projects like I've actually created so many other side projects that I've never announced and I've never ended up launching because I end up just going back to you know Jordan F or it ends up just sounding like Jordan F anyway so I just go back to (laughs) releasing it under that name but yeah I think it's just a mental thing as well like you know you just kind of need a break sometimes from all of the stuff that comes out and reassessing things so but you know if I didn't do that then I wouldn't have released the stuff I have today so you know it all part of the cycle I guess like what was your motivation for doing side projects was it just like you wanted to explore different sounds or what was the... Yeah, there's probably two reasons for wanting to do side projects is because like you said, we're going back, you know, even when you just played Freefall and you're like, we're going back to 2014. Sometimes I just feel like Jordan F as a project itself has kind of had its run and that there is kind of, it's kind of hard to sort of make a dent when you've got sort of a, you know, when you've built up a, 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 you know, a reasonably, you know, solid set of releases and stuff, but whether or not you can take it further under the current branding and stuff and, you know, where the sound evolves or can it evolve, but sometimes it's easy just to maybe go, well, maybe if I just do like sort of a clean slate, take all my learnings from Jordan F, take all the knowledge I've taken from how to, display my aesthetic and brand and put it into sort of a fresh project and really just you know hone in on it like sometimes that's actually very tempting but you know at, at the same time part of an artist is always to evolve and you know you can always go back in hindsight and go oh, i wish i did this differently i mean even if i did a new project and release music you know i guarantee you a year later i'd be like oh i should have done that track differently or something so you know it's it just it is just you've got to kind of almost retrospectively or you have to kind of get to a point where you have to accept how you're going to feel down the track about something i guess i have that thing in in me where if i have the opportunity to rework an old project i will and i almost have to delete the source files to stop myself from like george lucasing projects for me like i do like where i make videos and so i'm um I mean, as, as of when this will be released, I'll have, like, a, a proper YouTube page for, like, the spaceship show I make, which is just a silly thing. But uh, I was like, you know, since I'm going to be re-uploading these videos, I'm going to... Uh, maybe I'll fix some of the glitches I caught. And now I'm literally... I've been working for a week straight on a video I already released because I keep catching new things. Yeah. And I go, well, if I change this effect, I might as well update this. But then that creates a series of problems. And... It's such a tempting thing. Like, it's so hard for me to stop. Like, once I I go down the rabbit hole of, like, things I can fix, like, I will do it. And it is such a waste of time. But, like, I can't help it. Like, no matter how many people tell me, uh, like... Andy, you're wasting your time. Like, don't worry about this. Nobody cares. No one will notice. I'm just like, but I have to, like, now that I'm doing it, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. Or you'll notice and you'll you'll constantly go back and go, oh, well, if I only did that. And look, I've done the same thing as well. Like, I've remastered albums and remixed albums as well. Like, things, even like Oblivion, I released that album in like 2018, but I, it was very rushed and I wasn't in a good headspace. So, I just put it out there and every time I'd listen to it, I'd be like, oh, like, I really like it, but I just hate the mix. I hate the production. So, you know, last year I just went back and remixed all the files and just got it remastered and was just like, okay, it's out there now. But 
I mean, like you said, you can just go down the rabbit hole and just keep doing it, keep doing it. So it's like training yourself to go, well, that was me at a point of time. Like that's a snapshot of me then. And the only thing I can do is just show that I get better each time. That's a very healthy <laughs> way of thinking about it. I can't. It's like... <laughs> I look back and <laughs> it's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's tricky, man, especially if there's an actual glitch. I mean, I'm sure this happens the same way in music where you, you obviously you've listened to each of the songs you've made probably like hundreds of times. And so sometimes the simplest of glitches can like pass you by and you could spend all this time fixing other things. And then like a year later, you go back and go like, fuck, this song starts with like a glitchy fucking like bass thing that i never cut off or so you know like you, you didn't even notice until like a year later yeah and that's like the most frustrating thing is when you think you finally fucking um uh, polished the diamond or whatever and then, and then you just go back and like what like i forgot to add the drums <laughs> you know like it's, you didn't even notice yeah well, yeah, like I think that's the thing as well because I think when you when when you say you're editing a video or if I'm like you know editing a song or you know doing some music thing, your influences and your expectation of what is you know good or you know sounds right is different to what it will be in a year's time. So it's just it's almost like the goalposts are always moving in a way. And then I always wonder if it's easier if I you know I just teamed up with someone and just had someone next to me all day and just was like yeah that's good just like a set of objective ears that would just calm my conscience and just yeah. <laughs> you know put it all to bed rather than just me sort of losing myself in the mix or in the sound as you know it can be challenging if you listen to things constantly or watch things constantly uh, and you're trying to fix everything. I think there's even more of an element of that in music. Like for me personally, with my videos, it's more about actual glitches. So like I'll watch a video and go like, oh, there's an audio pop or when an edit happens, there's a black frame or something, you know, like things like this. Yeah. There's almost more of a hypnotic quality, I think, with music when you really are listening to a loop oh, yeah. like a hundred times just over and over again that like you, you go into like a trance state or something, you know? Where, oh, yeah, totally. And it's sort of hard to be objective about what you're listening to yeah you, you just lose perspective as well like i'm writing some music at the moment and i'm you know just before we jumped on i was just like on a loop and i was just like ah oh, crap like i like i'm not getting what i'm trying to get out of it and it's it's at the it's not necessarily the writing stage it's like the mixing and the production stage it's it's like you know what technique do you use to try and get to where you are and then i'm like oh do i put a reference song that i really like next to me so i can just sort of see how it sounds or yeah, it can become quite crazy. So, you know, I just take a break and come back to it. But yeah, if I find I'm listening to something constantly and constantly, I just end up like, it doesn't actually do any benefit. Sometimes it's better just to not look at it for a week and then come back. And then it, like the, the issues are really obvious. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, because if you're just constantly listening to it, you're not even picking up anything, like the, the, the bits that you need to really focus on. Whereas you just take, go away from it and you, you know, put on your ear pods or something and you just go, oh, crap, like that sounds like awful a week later. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to do it like that. Well, I tell you what sounds cool, man, is is this song Sanctuary from the album Oblivion. Now, I'm concerned. Am I going to be listening to the, the correct one? Because I picked up the album Oblivion, which you released in 2018, but now you're telling me you remastered it. Yeah. I mean, did you do that personally, or did you actually swap the files out, or what? Yeah, swapped it out on Bandcamp and all of the major distributors, so that would have been like a month ago or so. So if you downloaded it like in the last week, it should be the new version. Ah, perfect. All right, man. Well, then, <laughs> let's listen to this. <laughs> this is Sanctuary by Jordan F.
All right, and that was Jordan F. with the track Sanctuary from the album Oblivion. And I'm here with Jordan F. right now talking about, how would I word this, the monotony of editing and uh, getting lost in the... (laughs) remixing yeah do you still use ableton yeah i still use ableton and um but i'm not like a huge plug-in nerd or anything like that i've you know some of the plugins and vsts that i've used have been for like eight years or so and i haven't even updated them to like version two or three <laughs> you know i just end up going back to the things i know really well yeah because the problem is is like with with ableton you know and plugins and stuff there's just so much stuff you can do and there's so many sounds and so many presets and you know, you don't even end up writing anything because you're just flicking through presets. So I just end up going to like, I don't know, five or six really, you know, go-to synth sounds and maybe like one compressor and a go-to reverb and delay and, and an EQ. And, you know, that's it for me, really. I try not to overthink it. And it's when you do overthink it that I think things can become quite challenging back into that you know, mixing cycle. I've talked about this with other artists. I think there is a value to having a core set of sounds. It allows you then to just focus on writing like the actual musical composition. Like there's some artists like uh, I, I like I really like uh, Master Boot Record. He makes weird like chiptune metal music, but he pretty much uses the same sounds. It's like, like guitar and like this chiptune sound or whatever, but then it frees them up to just write music. You, you don't end up in that weird preset loop of just, <laughs> of just hitting one note and listening to a sound for like four hours. You actually just write a song. Yeah, and I think it probably forces you to be more creative as well. So like actually having to push yourself a little bit further using what you have versus, you know, I, oh, I'll just like flick through, you know, an Arturia preset bank and go through a thousand different sounds. Um, yeah, yeah. I like working with just sort of limited plugins and stuff. I again, I don't buy pl- like a lot of plugins, or you know, I'm not one of those kind of people that has like a huge synth collection. I've got a Roland Juno 60, which I've had since you know 2011. But you know, to be honest, I've probably only used it on one release. You know, and everything else is just in the box. Like all my other albums have just been you know with Ableton and you know some standard plugins here and there. Like there's nothing really amazing or you know secret about what I've done. Did you go to somebody for advice when you started? Like. I'm always curious when artists first start out, because you went from DJing saying, I'm going to make my own music, then you immediately just said, like, you pick up Ableton. Like, why? Did someone tell you that? Like, that's the one you should use? Did you, like, do internet research? No, look, I just, I was familiar with Ableton just from, you know, what I could see on, um, you know, the internet and blogs at the time. And, you know, Reason looked really complicated. And, you know, Ableton just seemed to be this fairly standard, you know, used quite widely from a number of artists that I liked. So, yeah, I just got Ableton. And, you know, I, I, you know, like any artist, when you start to find your sound and stuff, you know, you, you write some pretty terrible things. But <laughs> I used to ask for feedback all the time, you know, because I was on the whole my, uh, SoundCloud, you know, in the early days where, you know, people would actually message you and you'd build up relationships on SoundCloud. Like you'd actually send messages to people and they would, you know, then follow you and then you'd do like a remix opportunity or a remix swap or you'd do something for a release of theirs. And like you actually built a bit of a community on SoundCloud. So I used to get feedback all the time. And, you know, some people would, you know, just be like, no, it's not good. Like it's not good music. And I'd just be like, oh, okay. Like, you know, you just get honest feedback and, you know, I, you know, you obviously are gutted, but at the same time, I didn't really care too much. I mean, I appreciated the feedback. I think it's a key thing. And as long as it's constructive, you know, if they can give you some mixed pointers and things like that, that's always helpful. You know, sometimes even now when you use like a, there's like a thing called submit hub and, you know, you can submit your music to a bunch of blogs and I've used it once or twice for a couple of releases in the past year or two. And like the feedback you get is just so funny. It's like, 
yeah, like it's cool, but you know, it doesn't really have that pop for me or, you know, just very like one liner feedback and you're just like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> I don't know, just don't take it too personally, I think. Is the point of SubmitHub if you're really trying to be like a mainstream person? Because it seems like the feedback you get is just so random. Like it's not necessarily targeted towards like people who would actually be interested. It's sort of just like, you know, you could put a country song and some dude will be like, yeah, man, it just there's just not enough synthesizers for me. You know what I mean? And you're like, well, why is this guy reviewing my song? Like, yeah. You know? No, look, I, I, yeah, that, that's it. I think submit hubs, I think if you're making very like cheesy EDM or like dance pop kind of stuff and it has like, you know, just a very thick, you know, low end and it just pumps. Whereas, you know, for, for Synthwave Outrun, I don't think they're really, they're really the right avenue. And that's, I learned that pretty quickly. That was just, it was a bit of a waste of time. And, you know, the feedback's just very random. Like everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but you, I don't take that feedback from them pretty like seriously at all because it's just so off the cuff. With your side projects, like did they ever get so close to you actually putting them out? Well, I'm actually, <laughs> funny you mention it, I'm, I'm working on one at the moment. Not that, you know, Jordan F still Jordan F and that's still happening. I just, sometimes you just need to try something else. So, I have gotten a number of tracks for another side project that I'm close to probably actually releasing. So I don't know yet. It, it might still be some time away, but I'm just wanting to get it really spot on. But yeah, I mean, like I've done a, like a bunch of experimental side projects that have never got off the ground because I end up getting tired of the sound. But with this, I'm actually really excited about the sound and the style that I'm making. Like, I mean, it's it might be similar. Like people might listen to it and go, oh, it just sounds like Jordan F, but it's probably a little bit more experimental and a little bit more, you know, down tempo and things like that. So, you know, I might end up releasing it this year. You never know. So is this going to be called like Jordan G or are you going to work your way down the alphabet? (laughs) Oh, look, I haven't really thought about the name in great detail yet, but, you know, I'll start teasing it maybe on my Jordan F socials if I ever come around. Like I'm actually almost tempted to not even tell anyone that this is my side project and just start it and see where it goes without any sort of, expectation or preconceived notion of what it's going to sound like so i could just go it just be a bit low-key and just start releasing music without telling anyone but you know i might probably let people know that there's something going on just wear a mask (laughs) that's all you got to do man that was like remember that was all the rage in the synth wave scene a few years ago not as many masks as there used to be i noticed yeah there definitely isn't now i i mean you could just wear like a I mean, what else could you do? I mean, you do like a dead mouse helmet or a Daft Punk helmet or something. Yeah, that requires work, though. It requires work and you know, effort, <laughs> and work and effort. Things that I just don't have time for at the moment. <laughs> um, well, look, let's listen to this song. Final Flash was a single you put out in 2019, and uh, and it's a cool song, and I want to listen to it. So uh, this is uh, Final Flash by Jordan F.
All right, and that was Jordan F. with the track Final Flash. And I'm here with Jordan F. right now, talking about side projects and uh, and all this other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's my summation of what's just happened. Side projects and, and, and stuff. So what do you do when you're not making music then? Do you say you have like a full-time job, like doing something else? Yeah, full-time job. So I'm a urban planner as a nine-to-five. So if you don't know what urban planning is, it's like, you know, SimCity kind of like oh okay like building goes there house goes there shops go here yeah that kind of stuff so yeah it's pretty fun yeah i have a friend who's in urban planning are there any sort of problems unique to australia when it comes to urban development look i don't know i think it's probably quite universal the issues about you know urban sprawl and environmental management and things like that but i don't you know i think probably for canada and australia and us we've probably got some similar you know issues but you know if if you go to other countries maybe that are more you know densely populated or different areas of the world i'm sure they've got their own issues as well so yeah i don't know i think probably between canada and australia it's probably quite similar though but there's no thing like in australia like between every six houses, you have to put, like, a pipe for those giant spiders or something. You know, like, there's some places in the States, they, they live in a tornado area. So, like, literally, like, the windows have to be, like, tornado-proof windows and all this other stuff. And so I'm just curious if in Australia there's, like, every house has a, has a spider hole or a kangaroo-proof... Uh, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm being an asshole, sort of. But, like, I know there's, like, some, like, you know, unique weather situations and weird... Uh, <laughs> I always go back to giant spiders, but that's, whenever I think of Australia, I just think of these videos I see of people with... Oh, no! Isn't there a thing going on in Australia with fucking mice right now? Like, swarms of mice? Isn't that a thing? Yeah, there was, like, this whole mice. I mean, I didn't pay too much attention to it, but I think, like, north of where I live, like, quite far north, there's, like, mice plagues. There's, like, just thousands of mice, like, running across, like, farms and cattle stations and things like that, so... It's pretty full on. Like, I just see the videos and it's crazy. But you haven't been experiencing any of that? No, no, not not in Sydney. I mean, the only thing I think, going back to your question about, is there anything unique to Australia? I mean, I think probably, like I said, it's all probably quite universal. But I think for one example, you know, if you're building homes, you have to make sure it's all like done in, in accordance with some like planning and bushfire protection. So like, you can't build a home within like, you know, an area that might have be more prone to bushfires because you probably saw a year or two ago, we had, we get pretty bad bushfires here in Australia. So that's kind of a, a big thing, I guess, is like building homes around those areas can be quite challenging. You have to meet a lot of requirements and things like that. What is the actual distance? Because I don't even really get the science because like if a forest fire is burning, the thing you just want to prevent is from the fire actually burning people's houses. Or is there also an issue in terms of like if the smoke blow? Or I guess they don't care about that, right? It's more just about property damage damage right look I, I don't know i think probably it's property damage but also if the fire spreads in a, a certain pattern or in a certain way that might end up accelerating the spread of that fire like if it joins up with another fire or something like that maybe so maybe controlling the direction of where this fire is you know going is probably another thing but yeah like i don't know too much about it i always just get these ideas in my head that i know are stupid questions and i'm always afraid to ask them like i, I need like a scientist friend like, I need to meet more people who are, like, yeah. experts in certain fields. Because, like, until anyone answers me, I'll, I will ask those dumb questions like, why can't we put garbage in volcanoes and stuff? And then, I mean, I watched a video about it the other day that sort of explained it. And I was like, oh, it makes total sense. Because I'm always thinking that vol that lava is, like, just liquid. But it's actually, like, pretty solid. And so, like, if you, like, threw garbage into the volcano, besides the logistics of getting it there, 
which is the problem. The garbage would just like sit on top of the lava. It's not like it's going to like sink in like a movie or like your Gollum or fucking Terminator at the end with the thumbs up. Because I had this idea the other day about forest fires where I'm like, why don't we like build giant walls in the forest and like <laughs> section off the forest and like to sort of cubicles, like giant ones, you know, like just so it's like if one cubicle catches fire, there's like a thick enough wall between that section of forest and the other section that like the fire won't get to it. Big, big, like Jurassic Park style, like super high walls. It's a dumb <laughs> idea, I know, but like I just. I wanna... <laughs> well, going back to a bit on volcanoes and lava, like I thought that's a pretty good question that you asked about. Like, what about what? What about that movie? Was it like Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones? Do you remember that one? Yeah, there was two Volcano movies that summer. There was Volcano and Dante's Peak. Oh, yeah. Volcano is the Tommy Lee Jones one. That was the more Hollywoody one. I mean, they're both Hollywoody, but I think Dante's Peak takes the subject matter slightly more seriously. Because isn't Volcano the one where the guy, like, walks through the lava to, like, throw the other guy? Like, does, like, this heroic rescue? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking about. And you were saying that lava is, like, quite solid. I was just thinking, like, those scenes where, like, they would put all the barricades around the lava and the lava's just, like, trickling towards them and destroying everything. I was like, ah. Oh. It's not all real in Hollywood. Because it still flows, but it is like, it's liquid rock, so it's not watery. So it still it has the appearance of flow, but I think like if you ran over lava, you would step on it. It would melt your shoe, but I don't think you would sink in it the way that you think you would from watching movies. Yeah, like you wouldn't like melt into it instantly. It just sort of like slowly kind of like... Yeah, like it would be horrible because it would be like burn. standing on like the, an oven or something, you know, where you would just... Anyway, the... <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 this podcast does not recommend running into lava by any means. Unless you are trying to distribute garbage. I mean, the more I've researched it, yes, it's a bad idea because then it just sends the fumes. Like, I mean, it's it's not great. But my second idea would be if we can somehow manage space flight without the need for huge amounts of fuel to then just like send huge mm. packages of garbage just into space, like just send them on rockets, like past all the satellites and just shoot it away. <laughs> it's just not our problem anymore. Just shoot it off. Yeah, but I know then there'll be some astronomer who'll just be like, well, you know, then it's going to come back as an asteroid and then we're going to have all these like garbage asteroids like flying at us. And That'd be pretty funny. Like we shoot all this garbage off to space and then like, you know, five years later, all these like little garbage like piles just start landing in people's backyards and stuff like that. It sounds so pleasant when you say landing <laughs> and not <laughs> flying down at super high speeds and destroying <laughs> like whole cities as they come back. <laughs> Softly landing into someone's backyard <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of uh i'm trying to segue into memory collision because we we're talking about collision uh, this sorry that was bad uh look the point is this <laughs> good segue <laughs> anyway uh let's move forward here to 2020 uh, you had a cool album called memory collision in fact you uh you popped on the show a few months ago and uh, did a little cameo, and we played a track uh, from it. So we'll play a different one now. Uh, we'll play Eternity Tonight, because that's a cool song. And uh, it's by Jordan F.
All right, and that was Eternity Tonight by Jordan F. from the album Memory Collision from 2020. Wait, were you working on this album in 2019? Yeah, I was working on this album probably since mid-2018, and then this one was a long one, and I think probably by the end of it, I just over, I probably over-mixed it and everything, but, you know, I was really, like, the songwriting and stuff, like, was really good on this one for me personally you know breaking away just from that sort of safe instrumental territory and just just trying a few more different things like getting a bit more guitar getting a bit more funk in there get some more bass grooves like yeah it was just really an album about you know i guess colliding a bunch of different influences sort of hence the name is kind of you know about like a memory collision like all these different ideas that i've picked up along the way and i've just tried to sort of bring it together in one record was it fun organizing with all of the uh people you collaborated with yeah most are pretty good actually like i mean i mean i've had really good collaboration relationships with everyone who i've worked with and everyone's been very easy going and you know no one sort of asserts too much control is very much a 50 50 split you know how we build the tracks together and stuff usually i'll go to them with an instrumental and then you know they'll just do the top line but you know some are very hands-on and we'll go well, maybe if you move this chorus out or out of bridge here it'll sound better and you know i just accommodate that because i think for them like they've got that sort of compositional focus in mind about how to build the tracks so i'm you know i work with them and yeah, everyone's been really great to deal with on that album. And like, I haven't had any issues with any of any collaborators that I've worked with. I think the reason I worded it in that way <laughs> with that tone of voice is because <laughs> there's so many collaborations on the album. I'm not thinking so much about the working relationship and more so just the scheduling and the logistics of just organizing with so many people. You know, even me, when I'm trying to organize like an interview with a person can take like months to sort of figure out times and getting files to people and collecting things. And with so many collaborations, on the album I just yeah. I would see that as a uh, a thing yeah I mean look being in Australia has its challenges of it like you know just the time difference is obviously challenging so you know you send someone an email then it comes back you know the next morning rather than you looking at it you know in 10 minutes and responding but the logistics behind it weren't too bad I think I'm probably just used to it now and like there was no urgency like I wasn't like pushing anyone it was just like here's the track you know I'm aiming to release in five months or whatever and, you know, everyone was pretty good. So, I mean, yeah, it was just, I think, being patient, I think, is the key then. And I think now moving forward with, you know, having Microsoft Teams and Zoom and everything, I think that will be another way I want to collaborate with people, like getting the session up on screen and actually just chatting sort of the way we are at the moment, but, you know, with the project file open. Are you a patient guy? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> a very broad question, but in a musical sense, I would say... In a musical sense, I would say, <laughs> I don't know, like I sometimes get to the point where I just can't be bothered, like, you know, EQing a hi-hat within an inch of its life or, you know, just doing some of that. Sometimes it's easy just to put it out there and let it go. And if, as long as you're generally happy with it, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm reasonably patient. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes I like to ask dumb questions to amuse myself. Very thought-provoking question. It really makes you think. <laughs> what do you do when you're not making music then? What do you do? Uh, is, is music your hobby or do you like uh, doing other stuff? Well, I've got a dog. And if I'm not writing music, I'm either going out to the park or, you know, having, you know, dog plays and stuff like that with, with him. So, I mean, he's, he's great to, to get out of the house and stuff like that. And, you know, just played some tennis here and there, like play some golf. Just anything I think to get outdoors, I think is always good, particularly if you're sitting in front of a screen all day. Like I go from, you know, working from nine to five and then turn off my computer from my dining room and go, okay, cool back to the studio so I just go into my bedroom right. so like I've been on a screen all the time so I think 
if you can go outside and do some things like walk the dog or go for a run or something, I think that always helps. And I like doing it. My problem is all of my hobbies involve looking at a screen. Yeah. Because if I'm sitting there like I'm editing all day and I, I get that fatigue sometimes where I'll just get tired because I've just been editing and, I, I, and I'm not really working, but I'm still just sitting there pretending to work. Yeah. And then I'm frustrated because I'm not moving forward yeah. uh, with a project. And then to relax... I then like sit on the couch and boot up the Xbox or the PlayStation and then I'm just staring at a screen again. Yeah. Because I don't really have any sort of sporty hobbies. I remember when I was a kid, I thought I would like tennis, but it was too much work. Like I was used to playing badminton because in badminton, you know, like the, the birdie is so light that, you know, like you just kind of go boop, and it, like it floats. And so I thought, hey, maybe I would like tennis. And then as soon as I found out how hard you actually have to swing the racket to, like, do the tennis ball, I'm like, fuck this. And so, <laughs> so I gave up on tennis. Anything that you can do, anything that you can do just to get away from a screen, I think, is important. Whether if you just go for, like, a walk and get a coffee or something, like, you know, just anything. Go to the beach. I don't know. Are there any good beaches where you are? Yes, actually, yeah. I'm not a beach guy, though. I'm not, like, partying or whatever. I just sort of look at screens and go into different rooms and look at different screens. You know what? I was the same. Like, I'm not really, like, a beach person, really, per se. But I don't know. If you go to the beach on a good day and you just lie down and just relax, like, and you stay there for, like, more than half an hour, you just end up sinking into, like, really enjoying yourself. Like, it's the initial stages of getting to the beach and sort of getting all set up. But once you're there, I think... Um, yeah, and just zoning out, I think, you know, I've, I've definitely, like, appreciated going to the beach a lot more, especially just being in Sydney and all. It's hilarious, because as I say all this out loud, I'm starting to totally understand my son's attitude. Because we're always trying to get him to go outside, and he's on the computer all day. My wife has to, like, bribe him. I literally had to bribe him, you know, just like, well, we'll get you a new video game if you go outside for, you know, one day, every, you know, every day or whatever. And then as I'm talking, I'm like, oh, fuck, that's me. Like, my, my son is literally me. This is terrible. <laughs> How many video games does your son have now? Quite a few. Well, he's got access to everything, although I don't let him play the Xbox. The Series X is mine. Okay. <laughs> well, look, man, how about this? Let's listen to one more song, and then maybe we can uh, wind it down. Is that cool with you? Yeah, that sounds good. I want to uh, move forward here. Uh, we talked about it when you were on the, the show last time, the the, uh, the EP Eurowave, and uh, and it's a fun one. I thought we would just listen to the, the titular Eurowave track. So uh, here it is by Jordan F.,
And that was Eurowave by Jordan F. And I am here with Jordan F. right now, having a good time. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? No, I think it's been a good chat. We've talked about a range of things, which has been which has been nice, and it's been good to just you know have a nice natural flow to the conversation. So I think it's been a good chat. So what's in store for the future of Jordan F? It sounds like a side project. Yeah, like I've got a few things at the moment. Like I'm still obviously Jordan F still you know full steam ahead, but yeah, working on some of this other more experimental stuff. But then I'm working on a collaboration with Primo the Alien. So that's been really fun to work with her and she's a she's an incredible artist and producer and musician. Um, so it's been an honor to you know work with her and I've got a, maybe another um, instrumental coming out maybe in a month or two that will be part of some type of um, compilation soundtrack from a Netflix film. So that will be pretty exciting when that comes out. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to write an album anytime soon. It's just really just these you know collabs here and there, these singles, you know, a couple side project stuff maybe some remixes and yeah just having fun i think is more important now because the albums are a lot of effort so you know whether or not i do an album this year or next you know who knows i don't have the uh data on this but i'm curious about how albums fare against just releasing singles in terms of effort put in and money to the artist i think there's something there. I, I'm, I don't have business brains, so I actually I don't have anything to add other than the question I just asked. Well, <laughs> but like I think there's something there. If you're the kind of artist who like just releases a steady stream of singles, it might be better than putting a lot of work into like an album that takes like two years and then you, you know you get like 10 bucks a pop or if you release like so many singles yeah this is me i'm trying to pretend to be a businessman now and it's not working <laughs> i think you'd be a great uh, musician uh you know a manager with you know got that good acumen there and good understanding of the business i think albums are a lot of work and i think like you said to be honest i think the way things are heading it's just going to be like singles singles are like three track eps here and there i think it's the way to go now i think because you might have an album and say it's got 10 tracks and say all 10 tracks are amazing, but you can only really promote one or two in that whole release. Whereas if you do them all as like single, say everyone gets its own like three month exposure period, then that's, you know, say it dies down then you hit them with another single. So there's more activity, you know, I think just today's generation, you've got to keep everyone like really activated and then focused all the time. It's like what we're saying about TikTok, like you just got to keep people's attention constantly. So I think singles are probably the way to do that. There have been times where like an artist will release an album and I'll play one of the tracks from it. And in my head, I know this whole album's good and I would definitely play more tracks from it in the future. And then it just gets buried. Whereas if that artist broke that up into like, you know, three EPs of like three tracks, then I would be reminded of them, you know, like four months later, like here's like a new EP. I'm like, oh yeah, like I'll... And I'll play that song because it's quote unquote new. Yeah, that's the hard thing, man. There's like thousands of artists making music in and around the synthwave scene now. And it's tricky to get noticed and to just pay attention to everything that's going on. It's hard. Yeah. And I think if you're going to stand out now, I think you've got to really be an incredible, you know, musician and also, you know, produce to a high quality, but also brand yourself a bit differently, but also that's familiar with what people like about the genre. Like, I think one person I think that comes to mind easily who just nails it every time is La Avenue. Mm. You know, it just kills it with production, kills it with his songwriting. He, he knows the 
aesthetic and branding does the merch to a t like just everything is just bang smack on and i think those you can see the real care in the craft there and i think artists like those will be the ones to really stand out and do well i mean i want the show to be uh supportive i mean that's been my goal all these years is support artists because i mean music is really important to me and synthwave as a genre and the music that surrounds it is stuff that i find very inspiring and i know a lot of people have become jaded over the years just at the the reuse of tropes and stuff like that in the scene. And I never let it bug me, but lately it's been bugging me. <laughs> like, where I, I just want to put out a video series that just goes like, hey, like, if you're a new artist, just don't do this. And, like, just have the list of things. Yeah. It's tricky because some of my favorite artists have indulged in the tropes of Synthwave, but we are now in the year 2021. And so there's just certain things where when I see them happen now... Yeah, yeah, no, I get it, yeah. I've been wrestling with myself about how to word such a video where it's not taken as me attacking people who have already used these tropes. Yeah. It's just more of like, uh, let's try and be more creative here. Because especially as you're saying, like, if people want to stand out, besides being great musicians and stuff, like, it's really disheartening when I can go through my playlist and find 80 songs called, like, Arcade Night or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I think... I try to stay quite clear of, you know, all the controversy around, you know, where the genre is going or, you know, you know, where is it heading? Is it dead or alive or whatever? I don't tend to put my, you know, voice down because sometimes for me personally, I'm just like, I just like to be positive on social media and just be like appreciative of the support that I've had. But yeah, look, I do see that stuff and I'm very like, you know, sort of aware of those issues. Like, I don't know. I think if you're going to do like, you know, a track and call it tonight or some like, you know, neon, neon flight or something, I don't know, just do it well, like execute it properly and maybe just add like a different spin to it that isn't done because I like my, my eyes get sore from all the purple and sort of pink and blue shades of color on artworks now. Like, and I think visually trying to do something just a little bit different or a little bit more executing it a little bit differently, I think is more important now as well. Like I will never indulge the people going like, oh, Synthwave is dead. You know, it's like saying like classical music is dead. Well, like, is it dead while you're listening to it? You know what I mean? Like, I can't, like, if I'm listening to fucking Flight of the Bumblebee, (laughs) like classical music, like, it's just like, you know, you're transported to that place and, like, there's an energy about it, even if it was written, like, fucking hundreds of years ago or whatever. And so, but the reason I feel that people have this sense that there's a saturation in Synthwave is because so much of it is the same. That's what's creating that sense of saturation. Because it wouldn't be a problem if there was like a thousand artists who all had something unique about them. But when it's artist fucking 4,000 whose name is a word followed by 1980 something and all of their songs are just fucking Miami Beach Drive Sunset Malibu fucking Neon Arcade Rainy Street <laughs> yeah but those people won't you know we know that if, if you do something like that you're not gonna stand out you, you just won't like, you'll release his music but you won't get where you wanna be by simply just adopting those sort of cliche things and like the whole that article and stuff it was just it was just a dumb article I thought like I just read it and it was really stupid and, I don't know <laughs> like it just it's just who cares like you know it was really like an article that said like go listen to my labels artists pretty much because it was just pushing like <laughs> well like, I don't, this, this guy's I, labels artist wasn't it it was like saying all this stuff is crap like he was saying like oh like this sounds all old now but go listen to this but I actually still go and listen to the really old sort of 
like our classic outrun i think it's the new sort of stuff that's actually way more saturated than like the old sort of early 2000s kind of sound like because i think that's actually a really hard sound to create whereas i think everyone's can sound like the midnight now or something like that like that all sounds similar to me if that makes sense what this is exactly what i was talking about with just fucking twitter and facebook if people have troll mentality the negativity of it just sticks with you because that particular article i mean i think many people have since done the synthwave is dead but i remember like the main synthwave is dead article and people still talk about that fucking thing but they don't talk about it as like what a wonderful piece of journalism that was (laughs) like Everyone talks about it with such contempt of just like, what a fucking stupid thing. (laughs) And that's the power of negativity and the power of like trolling behavior. Yeah. It stays with you. And it's so disappointing that you have to fight it. You know what I mean? Like you have to fight negativity. You know, positivity just sort of floats by you. But like as soon as someone's like an asshole, then you actually have to like, you have to push them away. You've got to like actively go like, no, get out of here. Yeah. That's better. (laughs) This is a weird way to end the show. Well, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Well, no, that's, uh, well, like you know, th- I, that's why I probably don't spend as much time getting involved in it all because I think that just it's almost like for me then like if I get immersed in all that stuff then it just makes me negative, which is why like I don't probably get on Twitter as much and I just sort of keep everything to myself. But I'm also fairly casual about you know I think people get way overexcited about things or way too serious about things. Just keep it chill and just have fun and you know just support good music because what I'm really trying to do is embolden creativity it's not about like chastising people for using cliches it's about you know expand and become more creative I mean because I love the sounds like I love synthwave because I love the just the sounds that are used and I like retro synth just the vibe and the song doesn't also have to be called night arcade like sing about something personal or like write a poem or do so you know what I mean like as long as it still has the sort of the vibe yeah exactly no I get what you're saying it's all about like encouraging people just to be a little bit more bold in what they're doing rather than just play it safe and yeah I think you know all the best framing that video (laughs) I probably wouldn't (laughs) put it out because I think no matter how you push it no matter how you spin it there's always going to be like a group of people that are going to G up really hard so as long as you're willing to accept that then I mean honestly it's like I'm also doing it from a selfish point of view because I mean I I want to embolden more creative and interesting choices just because it's selfishly more interesting for me (laughs) like I just yeah well, uh, I think all the best, and yeah, I think it'll be. Um, <laughs> I think you know all that all that sort of stuff is always good to encourage that. So yeah, go for it. Anyway, but the <laughs> this is the weirdest tangent before ending a show. I think I've ever. Oh, we're trying we're to end on this very like sour like the genre is all good it's all good yeah. and- <laughs> the point is uh jordan f that you make cool music and uh thanks for joining me today and taking time out of your busy australian day like we talked about uh, organizing these things it's uh i find organizing with australia and new zealand to be the biggest pain in the ass it's just it's so hard it's like when i'm like writing it in my calendar i'm like what do i write here because like i messaged them and said we're recording on the seventh and so i'll write in the seventh and then like the day before realize oh fuck that's actually the sixth for me you know and then like yeah it's a a tough one but look i i again like i really enjoyed the chat and it's been it's been good fun we talked about a bunch of interesting things and yeah like it was great fun i appreciate it yeah man well you have a great day and uh thanks for chatting and uh people should go check out the music of jordan f you got stuff on Rosso Corsa and on your own personal band camp as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, awesome, dude. It was uh, great to chat with you. No, it was good fun. Thanks for the chat. It was nice and casual. Good, good flow to it. Yeah, take care, dude. All right, and that was my conversation with Jordan F. 
So that was a lot of fun. He's a cool guy. I like learning about Australia. You know, I've stopped asking Marco Australia questions now that he lives in the States, but uh, maybe he could have told me some of this stuff too. But you know what? It's all good. The point is, Jordan F. is a cool guy. Go check out his music. And that's the end of the show. So thank you for listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. I want to do a special shout out and thank you to Christian Quello. He's the guy that's been writing all the episode write-ups on SoundCloud and uh, organizing the artist links and stuff. I want to thank Ian Bertline, who has been doing the Instagram artwork. Uh, so anytime you see a post about the show on Instagram, that is the uh, the artwork of Ian Bertline. And then there's Ethan. Of course, Ethan, COVID-1986, who did a huge job cleaning up the Beyond Synth database. So good for him. And of course, for Mike Mendoza, a.k.a. Modern Knight, for doing the jingles. Hope you enjoyed the show. Tune in next time and uh, have a lovely week. And do not buy Grand Theft Auto, the definitive edition, all right? And until next time, uh, I'm Andy, and this has been Beyond Synth. Ciao, bello. Thanks for Beyond Synth is made possible by the supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash beyondsynth or donating via PayPal at beyondsynth.com. If you want to submit music to the show, please email beyondsynthsubmissions at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. May the Force be with you.